Stress, mindfulness, eco-anxiety, oh my! With global temperatures rising along with sea levels while our thresholds for nonsense continue to lower, it's understandable that humanity might be a little freaking stressed out right about now. But what part does stress play in our responses to disaster and climate change? And how does the kind of hippy-dippy sounding concept of mindfulness enter into the picture? That's what we're discussing this week on Globally Heated. Hello to everyone out there just trying to exist. I'm Sam. Of course you tried to speak in iambic pentameter. Why does that not surprise me at all? <laughs> and I'm Alex. <laughs> Why is your guys' podcast so expensive to produce? Well, we had to spend $1,000 developing a program specifically to edit out Sam's silent, choking laughter. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is Globally Heated. Heated. Our little blue globe is going through some changes, and there's so much going on. It could be hard to get past all the headlines, hyperbole, which is also pronounced hyperbole, and sound bites, and into the nuances, the gritty complex facts, and the really important yet often overlooked crunchy nougat centers of disaster, climate, social issues, and everything in between, and around, and behind. So join us each week as we travel with you down the rabbit hole to investigate the intersections of disaster and climate with our everyday lives and what we can all do with this crazy, hectic, rapidly heating world of ours. Welcome to episode nine of Globally Heated. It's just me, myself, and I once more this week. Alex is being lazy again, but he'll be back next week to entertain you with his dumb jokes. I promise. In the meantime, let's have a conversation about stress, mindfulness, and how both play into how we respond to climate change and disaster. We all know what stress is, right? Maybe you experience it as a tightness in your chest, a rapid heart rate, or a decreased ability to put up with other people's inability to stop making absurdly loud noises while you're trying to meet that deadline your boss set you that is entirely unreasonable and might actually classify as cruel and unusual punishment. In short, stress sucks. And it seems to be getting more and more prevalent over time. According to Experience Life author John Spade, when the American Psychological Association conducted its annual survey on stress in 2011, nearly a quarter of respondents reported their levels of stress as extreme. 39% said their stress had gone up in the past year and 44% said it had increased in the past five years. Now, there are myriad reasons this is the case, but one of the most interesting aspects of this APA survey was the finding that, in Mr. Spade's words, nearly a third of respondents said they believe stress is strictly psychological and has no impact on physical health. Unfortunately for that one-third of respondents, they were incorrect. Stress is actually a physiological response. It's a biological alarm response that our body has to exterior threats. And it actually doesn't calibrate itself super well according to the level of that threat. It just sees said threat and reacts because that deadline is definitely as life and death as walking across a tightrope above a pit of disgruntled alligators. For sure. Fortunately for you all, I am not an actual neuroscientist. 
So if you want to learn more about the nitty gritty of the physiological side of how your body responds to stress, feel free to check out the Discover Magazine article we linked in the show notes. For the purpose of this episode, what I really want to emphasize is that stress can take a physical toll on the body. And we're seeing more and more of it as climate change and disasters stress people to frack out. The world over, we are seeing an increase in things like post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, and other mental health concerns as the effects of climate change, particularly increasing natural disasters, begin to impact communities. The fact that marginalized communities living in poverty are the most susceptible means those already vulnerable to or dealing with mental health concerns like chronic stress are becoming even more vulnerable over time. But even folks living pretty privileged lives are seeing increased stress. And it can often stem from issues caused or exacerbated by climate and environmental change. On top of that, entirely new mental health concerns are surfacing. In doing my research for this episode, I happened upon an article on mindful.org that explains this new concept of eco-anxiety. At first, it sounded kind of silly, I'm not going to lie. Wouldn't this just fit into the overall diagnosis of anxiety? Does there really need to be a separate definition entirely for this concept? Well, after reading the definition, I realized the answer was kind of yes. According to this article, the American Psychological Association defines eco-anxiety as a chronic fear of environmental doom. As the definition suggests, Eco-anxiety is not a response to an acute event, but a state of mind that arises gradually as we watch the slow and frightening consequences of climate change unfold. Eco-anxiety can manifest in intense worry and rumination, generalized anxiety, insomnia, panic attacks, feelings of sadness, loss, guilt, hopelessness, and irritability. In other words, symptoms of anxiety and depression. Again, in other words, or my words, or however you would like to look at that, the world is burning and our brains are unable to cope with all the insane crap happening all around us at any given time. So what the heck are we supposed to do about it? Is there anything out there that can help us save our collective brains from the metaphorical frying pan? Again, the answer is yes. This is where the practice of mindfulness comes in. According to the American Psychological Association, Mindfulness meditation is a learned practice centered around an intentional, compassionate, and non-judgmental attentiveness to the present moment, which in turn results in the development of openness to new information and an awareness of self and surroundings. The APA article argues that a lot of our daily behaviors are automatic. We don't even really think about them when we're going to do them. And that can lead to subconscious bias and uncritical decision-making both of which can be harmful to others and the environment around us. And just as importantly, these unconscious acts can increase our own stress, causing symptoms we won't recognize unless we are mindful of our own deeper thoughts, actions, and physical states. Mindfulness addresses these mindless behaviors head-on and gives us tools for self-assessment so we can better understand how stressors are affecting us and those around us. Now, normally I would go into the physiological and biological changes that research supports can be seen in those who practice mindfulness that support learning and behavior change, but I can feel Alex glaring at me from a few states away, so I'll refrain this time around. 
For now, suffice it to say that our brains are actually much more capable of change than we have given them credit for historically. And mindfulness is a tool we can use to do that. In the context of climate change, disaster, and stress, that's great news. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. This week, Globally Heated is brought to you by Monotone Lectures. Do you hate being excited to go to class? Do you prefer not to learn anything after sitting in a freezing room for an hour, staring at the board as though it were your only salvation? Try Monotone Lectures, the surest way to get that nap you've been missing out on in a hard, uncomfortable plastic chair. Okay, we're back. The basic tenet of mindfulness meditation and practice is finding the connections between your mind, body, and the world and people around you. And acknowledging those connections so you can help regulate your own responses and hopefully increase your well-being. Some of the most common practices in doing that, according to the Mayo Clinic at least, are simple exercises like being present and paying attention to your senses. What did that apple taste like that you ate at lunch today? What did it sound like when you bit into it? Paying attention to small details such as that, instead of thinking about that email you have to send before the end of the day or the fact that you have to go to the grocery store after work tomorrow, existing in the present, even if just for a few seconds or minutes at a time. If you need something a little more structured, you can use something like a walking meditation. This is my favorite method to use when I'm trying to practice mindfulness because if I'm not moving, my mind sure as heck is. The walk helps me to focus, and I try to apply that focus to the sensation of the breeze or the sound of the leaves in the wind to keep my mind in the present instead of in the future or the past. Others use more traditional meditation techniques, yoga or counseling, and there are guided meditation options for those who aren't sure how to get started. You may be saying, this is all great and everything, but what the heck does it have to do with climate change and disaster? Well, a study published in 2018 in Ecological Economics addressed this very question. What link can be found between mindfulness and climate action? Their response was pretty unequivocally positive in mindfulness's favor. The authors concluded, our results indicate that mindfulness of individual agents is socially relevant and linked to sustainable climate adaptations at different scales. It is correlated to motivation to take or support climate adaptation actions. It may translate into increased action taking, especially for measures that are other focused and or support pro-environmental behavior. In addition, it may corroborate the belief in, or correct representation of, climate change, associated risk perception, and steer people away from fatalist behavior. Therefore, it could positively influence collective social action, for instance as part of collaborative climate adaptation governance and planning, and should thus be considered in related policy and action. So yeah, lots of benefits there for climate action. But what about for disaster and climate stress? How can mindfulness practice psychologically benefit individuals feeling overwhelmed by climate and disaster today? The number one answer is that it is yet another tool in helping people build psychological resilience in the face of emergencies. Mindfulness is not the be-all, end-all solution. No singular psychological theory or practice can solve everyone's problems. 
But studies have shown that the more present we are, the more cycles of rumination and worry we can break, and the more variables we're likely to see and understand that have led us to the situation we're in, making us more capable of coping with said situation, no matter what it might be. Yes, global climate change is scary. Disasters are terrifying. Feeling powerless or like we have no control can be debilitating. But the better able we are to deal with everyday stress and worry, the better able we will be to deal with the bigger challenges. So add another tool to your toolkit. That's what we plan to do. Okay, my friends. Here is where we get into what we have nerdily yet lovingly named the Cool It Toolkit. Just cool it. Every episode, we'll spend a few brief yet wondrous moments discussing what the heck you and everybody else can do about this nutball world of ours and what's happening in it. You can find all the resources and links we mention here through the Cool It Toolkit page on our website. And feel free to reach out if there is something you want to see that isn't there. This week, we discuss stress, mindfulness, and how the two are connected to climate change and disaster. Our biggest piece of advice this week is build out your psychological toolkit to increase your personal resilience to climate change and disaster. Read through the links we've provided on the science behind the human stress response in order to have a better understanding of why your body does those weird things when you feel overwhelmed. Click through the resources we've provided on mindfulness, how to practice it, and why it's more important today than ever. Practice some of the mindfulness techniques you find in the Cool It Toolkit and see which ones work for you. And reach out via our website or social media platforms to let us know if you have climate change or disaster-specific mindfulness practices you want to share. And be sure to check back on our website later this week to read about how specific mindfulness and other resiliency practices can help you feel better prepared and better able to respond in the face of disaster. Well, the world is hotter, but hopefully we've all got a little more context for what's happening on it. That's all we've got for you guys this week. Thanks so much for listening to all of our shenanigans, especially Alex's shenanigans. And uh, please subscribe if you want to hear more from us on a weekly basis. Feel free to leave us a review on any and all of your podcast apps. Also, give us five-star reviews. There's no other type of review. It's not, it's not even an option. Don't try it. Don't even click on the stars to the left of the fifth one. Yep, no, five is the only option. Oh, yeah. Also, check out our website, globallyheated.com. .com. Don't go to .net. It's, it's a weird site. It's terrifying. Dot com is the one you want. You can find podcast notes and follow along on our blog to hear about some uh, thoughts and maybe a few crazy adventures in disasterdom. And also find lots of cool infographics and uh, some helpful cartoons for your own visual edification. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Globally Heated for updates on the podcast and blog. The music in our episodes is by Kevin McLeod. Until next time, stay cool, folks. Stay safe out there.